0: Drive-by Cinema Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun
1: This is Season 2, Episode 48 of Drive-by Cinema Hello! Hello and welcome to my co-host Paul Hi, hi, and this is Richard, I can confirm that Can confirm that for the second time tonight after we had an audio failure we did, yeah. I can confirm it's Richard, although he may be wearing a Latex Max. But you would be able to identify me by my gait,
0: you were about to say. Yeah, but you might be limping down the street or cleverly wearing roller skates.
1: Oh, good way of avoiding gait detection. Also, riding on an electric scooter. That would also sort it out, wouldn't it? It would. Or, like, crawling along the floor. But this gate detection software is not all it's cracked up to be. For one thing, it's so. it can't do it real time. They have to analyse it after the fact. Oh, It's quite computationally intensive. And for another thing, 94% is not that good a success rate if you're screening you know, a street full of people. You're going to get a lot of false positives that way. Mm-hmm.
0: So are you saying that's as good as it gets?
1: No, they're probably improving it. But... The question is, can you be that specific identifying people by their gait? Question. Is there another way maybe we could identify, identify people? Well, maybe by their face, like humans do. How about their height? How about that? That's normal, isn't it? Identifying people by their faces. Uh,
0: I was going to... Oh, God. Toastmasters. Okay. A friend had wrote me in to go to Guangzhou. Toastmasters. Which is kind of that... It's like the Rotary Club. So after dinner speaking, kind of isn't it? it? Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's all about people who want to get on in business, kind of thing. Uh, and, uh, and I went a few times and, and by chance, like one guy turned up and he, he brought, I, I'd never seen, you know, those big boats with ice that they put sushi on. He kind of walked well, in. He had like,
1: I mean, I, I'm going to say yes. And I've probably seen them once or twice, but
0: I, I mean, a big wooden boat, not a real boat, but a big wooden boat they put on the table. Okay. Yeah. To eat sushi from. Yeah. yeah giant, you know. Sure. And he walked in. Well, he, he didn't walk in. Before his presentation, he got like 20 of his minions to place these all around the room. I've never seen so much sushi and tuna in all my life. I think there's other stuff there. Uh, and then he said, oh, help yourselves. And then proceeded, proceeded to give a lecture on his startup, which had nothing to do with Japanese sushi, but it's strange anyway. Uh, it was all about facial recognition and that kind of thing. Uh, and gate recognition. And I said to him, you know, I did an elevator pitch and I said, well, what do you think about maybe, you know, people doing a 3D scan and sort of working out if clothes are going to fit them kind of thing. And he was quite excited by that. And he said, yeah, get back to me. In any case, uh, I got a job the next week. It was nothing to do with either of these two. So I never got back to him. But there we go. It is a little startup. But uh, yeah. So there we go. Shenzhen and those kind of places. Uh, it's 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 a silicon valley of the east you know but nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight
1: absolutely nothing to do what are we talking about tonight are we are we going to go straight into the movie or do we do do we just need to mention that as we speak the british the british government is collapsing we have no chancellor right now is collapsing or has has already collapsed yeah but it's stumbling on like a like a zombie i shouldn't so, laugh but i'm going to do <laughs> This is just checking in again for future historians who are listening to our podcast, like Samuel Peter. We'll bury this
0: in the Blue Peter Garden.
1: In a time capsule, that's right. Yeah. In the virtual Blue Peter Garden. So we're, we're see, seeing the very end of the Johnson era administration, surely. As we no longer have a, an elf secretary. I didn't know I had a secretary for elves. And we don't have <laughs> a chancellor. <anymore. laughs> By the way, this is unrelated. Uh, I just thought I'd mention this. Uh, I was playing around, for reasons I can go into, playing around with one of those AI text generators. Yeah. A GPT-3 thing. Because, you know, I did a new logo for us using the... You did. You typed in, AI drive-by cinema. Yeah.
0: And it gave us something really quite terrifyingly horrific.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is the Dali Mini. It's not the full (laughs) version. It gives you very impressionistic, dreamlike images, in my, to my mind, anyway. A.k.a. Yeah, they were, badly drawn. They were quite disturbing, admittedly. Anyway, what, I was wondering whether this would give me a better introduction to drive-by cinema. And again, on the theme of you taking the jobs of computers, here's a computer potentially taking your job. So here's an AI-generated drive-by cinema introduction. Drive-by cinema, watching movies so you don't have to go in and buy tickets, was big during the 90s. The idea was you popped into a cinema, often one that sold a few magazines, and you didn't have to buy a ticket and watch the movie from the front like you would at a proper theatre. And that was great too. But you can't do that anymore. So now, you just bring my own DVDs and I watch them at home, and then I call the drive-by. Chris Paul is the host of Pods and Things. He is a film reviewer for the BBC and a columnist in the <laughs> Independent.
0: Yeah, i have just taking the ankle bracelet off for of that CV I once wrote. Yeah, go on.
1: <laughs> That's it, really.
0: It does so go did on you, a little did, bit longer, Did you ask him to? Did you ask it to listen to our podcast?
1: <laughs> no, no. Uh, okay. No. It seems to have got the essence of it, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I do
0: like the AI stories, you know. They, they're getting, I, I don't want them to get better. I like them as they are at the moment. Like when they, they'll, they'll like, you know, uh, what, they'll make them review, you know, all the back catalogue of Friends and then they write an episode of Friends. And it's just, you couldn't write it any more surreal. It's just fabulous. There are so many of them. But the, I mean, I, I hope people keep those as NFTs because once the AI gets good, then we won't be able to generate this randomly
1: bad AI storytelling ever again. That's sad. That was with you up until the NFT bit. <laughs> All right, listen, it's time for some music, Paul. And then yes. talk about maybe some AI generated music from now on. truth be told, I have no idea what kind of music you're going to inject there, Paul. So maybe it will be AI, perhaps. Maybe your original was
0: AI. <laughs> Richard, what have we got on offer for our delighted and delightful viewers? Excuse me, listeners, for Series 2, Episode 48 tonight.
1: By the way, oh. and this is a shocking piece of information, this will be the 101st Drive-By Cinema episode. A hundred flashed by, with barely a mention. But I mean, truthfully, a couple of episodes have been clip shows, not perhaps not really, not really the real deal. So I don't know it's how you feel about that. Anyway, just there you go, just a, a hat tip to a hundred episodes, Paul. This movie that we watched this week was entirely your idea. Just <laughs> state that. Just putting it out there, Edge.
0: You know, you know the... What was a- it,
1: though? I think I think our listeners
0: need to find out about it.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, normally you say the name of the movie. Do I?
0: Right? Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, well, it is, actually, uh, Basildon Newtown. And it's a documentary. It's kind of like... No, I think-
1: no, it, no Paul. It's called Newtown Utopia. Oh, is it? Shit. <laughs> <Jeez. laughs> Have I watched the wrong one? No, I think you watched the right one. It is about Basildon. Oh. It had the voiceover with Jim Broadbent. I'm see. seeing no, no flash of
0: recognition from Paul. Well, I know I knew Jim Broadbent was in there, but I kept researching him on, on Google. and It said he was an MP. I don't believe he is an MP.
1: Jim Broadbent? No, he's yeah. an
0: actor. But he, 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 oh, I'll look it up again in a second. It says he's an MP <laughs> on Google. And I was thinking, no, he's, he's, he's in old, Only Fools and Horses.
1: Yeah, I don't think he is in Only Is he? What? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, with David Jason? And, yeah. Okay. Anyway. I don't know who's more confused at this
0: point, you or me. So it's not Basil and Newtown, Paul. It's Newtown Utopia, and that's Newtown the film what we
1: watched. Utopia.
0: Yeah, I take full responsibility for this.
1: Watching movies so you don't have to. For once, I think that's probably exactly what you should do.
0: <laughs> Look, the Guardian loved this. They gave it four out of five
1: stars. Did they? Did they? Yeah. I w- I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> don't know. <laughs> This is a documentary. You found it on Amazon Prime. I guess. Yeah, I like the look of it. Min- minimum research. You just saw it, or it was presented to you as a suggested movie. Not true. So- I've always had an interest oh, in the oh. new towns. I watched those. We well, talked minute- about architecture, haven't we, and city planning on this. I, wait a minute. Before. You
0: know, I watch those pathé twenty-five minute promotional clips of Thelmsdale pretty often, actually. Do you? Yeah. Were you
1: wondering whether you should move there?
0: I was, but that's not the reason I watched these clips.
1: I've just got a so, thing
0: for for future-facing ideas of the past.
1: So where does the idea of a new town come from, Paul?
0: Well, originally it comes from the idea of
1: a garden city. Right. So that's like Welling and... And the other one. What's the other one? Letchworth? Letchworth. And they're both in
0: Hertfordshire, I think.
1: Yeah, I think somewhere around
0: yeah. there. Oh, there's an amazing number of new towns. I mean, because they're garden cities, but afterwards, there's an amazing number of new towns in uh, in Hertfordshire. Stevenage is a new town. And there's a couple more. Uh, the place where University of Hertfordshire is, they used to make uh, RAF planes there. I can't remember what it's called. It's also well, there a new were town.
1: 10 new towns, according to this documentary. And but they all started
0: out page. you know, radiating from around London. And Hertfordshire is, of course, just north of London. So Hertfordshire got... Got a, a good old, you know, cartload of apples of new but towns. But they're not all in the beginning. around London because not anymore. No, no.
1: Three of them were in the northwest.
0: Indeed, yeah. But they, they were, were stage two and stage three.
1: They were Warrington, Runcorn, and Skelmersdale.
0: For Don't forget, of course, businesses. Central Lancashire, nineteen seventy.
1: That's a lot later, though. See, Basildon. Yeah. I was wondering how I would relate to this documentary. But it turned out to be quite apposite for me, because the story of Basildon is that it's after the war. the did London... Al- Sorry
0: to interrupt. We didn't see Alison Moyer, though, did we? At any point?
1: Like they were banging on. They were banging on about bloody Defesh <laughs> mode, and we never, we never. They mentioned her once, Alison Moyer. There's a great deal promised in this documentary. It didn't deliver very much, did it? Yeah. Quite right. Sorry. No. So, During the end war, of war. Yeah. The East End of London had been bombed out. The slum housing in the East End had been badly damaged during the Blitz. And the local authorities were not going to rebuild it as slum housing. They had to find a new housing solution for all of the population that were being displaced. True. And so, one of their plans was to create these new towns on the outskirts, including Basildon in Essex. Now, in Manchester, the Salford slums which were your two up two down terraced houses built for the industrial workers. Were they back That's to back just, at times? They were back yeah the, this is Coronation Street or oh, well last time I ever watched an episode of Coronation Street the title sequence depicts the back to back streets of terraced housing with the so the, the the terraced houses you know they they face immediately onto the pavement you go straight into the front door into the front room they've got now, they called them one-up, one-down. Some guy said one-up, one-down in, in the East End. I don't know. Yeah, it
0: would make sense, yeah. I remember my grandma's cottage was one-up, one-down, but it's, it,
1: it's from 1806, so, you know. They were always called two-up, two-down, I thought. I thought it was downstairs you had a kitchen and a parlour or a front room or whatever. Yeah. And upstairs you had two bedrooms. Two bedrooms, yeah. yeah and you had an back- outhouse. At the back, there was a back garden, and it was outside plumbing, so it was a privy. (laughs) So, well, there must
0: have been back-to-back in Salford, but, I mean, there certainly were, like, in Hebden Bridge, I
1: remember, they were still standing, and maybe they still are, you know, around there. But this was where my family lived in Salford. Right. And, again, bombed during the war, particularly the salford top Keys area, as it's now called, the area where the Manchester Ship Canal ends. And there was plenty of industrial areas in Salford building aircraft stuff. Of course, yeah. So, Salford slums were equally bombed during the Blitz and, once again, the local authority was not going to rebuild the slums and they wanted to put people in better living conditions with indoor plumbing and central heating and all the modern conveniences, which is what ModCon stands for. Yeah. So, in uh, the northwest in Manchester, particularly the solution was Withenshaw. It was an expansion of the uh, of the local authorities area, eventually forming Greater Manchester. You bought Cheshire essentially, and areas of Lancashire and I suppose Cheshire were subsumed into Greater Manchester. Um, My area was part of Salford, in fact, ultimately, or certainly the Salford Education Authority. So I came from a town called Little Holton, which was a really small Lancashire kind of village on the edge of Salford. But after the war, they rolled out a massive uh, um, social housing programme uh, enormously expanded little Holton and moved a lot of Salfordians in there, and that happened you know lots of times in lots of the villages around Manchester in the Lancashire area and so lots of places that were Manchester uh, sorry were Lancashire, yeah became greater Manchester by this expansion
0: It's interesting isn't it because I mean, as well as the new towns, there was this huge house building and you know suburbanization going on that wasn't necessarily according to a new town plan, as you point out here. Yeah. So it's interesting, isn't it, how how we all kind of moved out of cities. And cities for a long time were not the place to be, unlike they, you know, unlike they are today. They've come back into fashion, haven't they? So Withenshaw, I think, predated the new towns, didn't it? I mean, Withenshaw was the largest uh, housing estate. And I don't think it was council, was it? Or it was part council, part privately owned. But it was the largest sort of suburban council estate in Europe for a long time.
1: Well, I mean, I would say... You know, Little Holton was up tenth the size of Basildon. I don't know about Withenshaw. It wasn't a town as such, Uh, but it was it had a lot of the same properties that they're describing in Basildon. So so you felt some residence here. Completely, you know, it had a load of of the curvy linear kind of estate planning (laughs) that, you know, typifies suburban development, you know, post war suburban development ideas. You know, no straight roads. No long terraced rows of housing, but instead, you know, sweeping, curvy cul-de-sacs with little green bits, maisonettes, semi-detached houses and stuff. And generally speaking, council-owned properties, and, you know, I suppose for the time, reasonably reasonably uh, nice housing compared to what people were coming sure.
0: from. Sure. No, no, really nice place, I'd imagine.
1: But also quickly built. For the era and, and shoddily built, built, yeah. built, yeah, shoddily built, yeah. That's also true.
0: There's an interesting exception. This was Runcorn. They got an award-winning architect of a very modern variety to do a housing estate in Runcorn as they we're building it, and he sort of, you know, was trying to echo because people were moving out of Liverpool proper into Runcorn, and he tried to echo the maritime history by giving them round windows like on play school, uh, <laughs> but it, it just and it was very modern, like you know, clad in whatever, uh, and had weird. Colors like yellow and blue and red. And so the Liverpoolians called them the, the washing machines and also the Lego buildings. And uh, they were empty within about eight or 12 years. Now, the architect kind of takes responsibility for some of it, but he says, you know, the building quality was severely lacking. This was late 70s, early 80s. This is a very late development. Roncombe was one of the later New Towns, wasn't it? But it's interesting you mention. Uh, that Basildon was a small place before the new town was created. During, as, as I was reading up about this, I mean, I also, do, you know, do you know Jay, Jaywick, the kind of like the poorest place in England, which is down on the Essex coast, uh, and used to form part of uh, Nigel Farage's constituency. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's kind of like all oh, has got these little bungalows, uh, and, uh, and shacks, lean tos that, are, I mean, they're plumbed in, you know, and whatnot, but you, you could tell them they're, they're just a step up from a trailer home kind of thing. Uh, and uh, they were built, of course, because, I mean, planning permission is a relatively recent phenomenon, 1920s, 1930s. But, you know, Londoners would build their own shack out there, you know, maybe three or four times the size of a garden shed and maybe add to it. And eventually it would become like a holiday home for them. Uh, and Jaywick's only really fallen out of favour with Londoners in the last 40 years, I think. Which is why it's fallen on hard times, uh, but Basildon was similar. You see, I mean, people had built kind of like little dacha holiday homes. Londoners, working class Londoners, had built little places out there because it required no planning permission. And They weren't plumbed in, and they weren't they weren't they weren't they weren't, they weren't juiced into electrics. You know, you just that's how people, how people lived. I guess back then it wouldn't be much different from the slums that they lived in, and for, you know, to, for the equivalent of today's a few thousand pounds they could have a second holiday home kind of thing and during the blitz of course i mean the east end was devastated wasn't it and so people to escape the bombing and to escape the devastation moved out permanently to those areas in basildon uh and didn't come back and i think part of the impetus for creating basildon newtown was to say well we don't mind these people moving out but they're not going to be living like that and so uh there's a museum down there now, uh, with one of the re- with one remaining bungalow, because uh, they were all bulldozed to build homes for the people who were moving in, and I guess also for the people that lived in the bungalows that were bulldozed. But there is a museum down there. I'm not sure what it's called. It's, you know Museum of Shacks or whatever <laughs> Museum of Contemporary Shacks. Yeah. So uh, there was a significant pop out, you know, outsider population from London anyway uh, compared to the locals, but it wasn't. The influx that came later, when we got one hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand people eventually moving into Basildon, compared to the four or five thousand people that were in the four original towns. I think
1: it's a hundred thousand Basildon. hundred
0: thousand, yeah. But there was Similarly only four or There was only four or five thousand people in the four original towns that made up that made up Basildon proper before it became submerged. Well, one
1: of now. the interviewees, you know, talking of this move, said he just wanted a bathroom and a toilet, and that's understandable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, here's the thing, and it's true in Little Holton. I'm sure it was true in Basildon. You know, slums though they were in Salford and in the East End, you know, this is a community of people. They mm. had friends on those streets. They lived in close families. You know, you wouldn't live many doors down from your close family. Didn't have to lock your doors. Didn't have to lock your doors, all of that stuff. Knock her up and instead
0: of an alarm clock. <laughs> you
1: Yeah, knock her up, yeah. Which was someone with a long the stick that they would rattle on your window at the appropriate time. But people resented being forcibly moved from the inner city slums to these places that they weren't familiar with. This is what we forget. I mean, people had no choice about this, did they? It was a, it was sort of authoritarian mm-hmm. uh, for their own good. I mean, I don't exactly know how they strong-arm people, but I mean... Ultimately, you know, if the council are not going to repair your road, not going to rebuild the houses, you're given no choice but to go and live in the council house they're assigning you. You could hold out as a nail house in China, as they call them. You know, like the one house that's not been demolished.
0: Hopefully, get a better offer on it. But then you still have to move anyway. Eventually, compulsory purchase orders being what they are. Uh, yeah, so so I mean, at the beginning, well, whilst this documentary still held promise, uh, they <laughs> nicely interlaced, you know, overdubs of pathé or promotional governmental or whatever kind of film. Well, it's
1: it's quote from a minister. It's quote from a minister at the time called Lewis Smith. We want to
0: create a new town. We want to create a new people—people people that like the arts, people that go to the theatre. People that want to be better, you know that kind of thing. So there was a there was a, an authoritarian paternalistic intent to all this, wasn't there?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Now it wasn't just about a new town, it it's about new people. It was about changing the working class into something.
1: In my hometown, better. in Little Holton, this left a kind of deep-seated, like almost inherited, like hatred of authority. <laughs> so the parents of the kids I was at school with were people whose parents presumably told them. That, you know, that they didn't instill in them any respect for authority or for teachers or, you know, don't bother learning at school, there's no point kind of thing. Creating a very not upwardly mobile population of youngsters who didn't see much future and Little Hunton seemed like a dead end, but they had no means of getting out of there.
0: So uh, Little Oldham was just a housing estate, was it? Or was it, did it have a concourse? Did it have, like, a you know, little row shops in the middle of it? That oh, built? no,
1: it did. It, it, in Although much smaller, in many ways it reflects the things they were saying about Basildon. I mean... Uh, did it have some sort of art in the middle of the concourse? Not quite. Not quite not big quite. enough to have a lot of public art. But, you know, it, it had lots of vernacular housing, you know, pitch roofs, Cape Gable Ends, that kind of stuff. And a modern shopping centre, you know, a 1950s modern shopping centre, you know, wow. concrete stuff uh, in a little kind of, you, you know, not a covered shopping mall, just ones with kind of things over over the fronts of the shops. I don't know what you call it. Porchways or something. In a big square with a veranda park in the middle. Overhang kind, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, not one you can stand on, no, but an overhang, yeah. A cantilevered kind of roof thing that went around the front of the shops. In a big open space. But no art. Too small, I think, for that kind of art. A fountain? No fountain, oh. no. Certainly <sighs> not when I was there. Uh, and, you know, it looks... It quickly looks pretty run down. Like concrete does. And uh, concrete and that white board panelling, you know, that you get and you put on the front of sh- shitty-looking buildings. <laughs> 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 uh, but... One of the quotes from Louis Smith in this documentary, which is Jim Broadbent quoting him, he says, "The monotony of interwar housing estate must not be repeated." And I didn't know what an interwar housing estate really was. What did they build between the wars that was so offensive?
0: When we move people out of inverted commas slums into these new towns, uh, there was nothing really organic. Yes. About about the tour was it? They? they just sprung up from a plan, yes. and the plan—the yeah. plan wasn't a seed. The plan was the final product. You see.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's true. And
0: and, and so, I mean, I, I guess it, it was to do with the times. You know, our idea of science and our idea of progress hadn't really been challenged beyond d- deterministic kind of perfection of Victorian science, had it? And I think the 1950s, 60s was that sort of that space age moment in a sense was when we were most certain that we knew we knew everything kind of thing and so if you can plan things then plan them in detail and they'll probably be right but then at the same time the fashions in architecture the fashions in town planning were for sim- were for not brutalism but were for for very streamlined modernism weren't they and so and so these plans were kind of drawn with very straight lines weren't they so here's going to be the shopping centre, and that's going to do shopping things. And here's going to be the living <laughs> the quarters. The industrial area. Yeah. And that's going to be the industrial area. And if you watch the. Skelmersdale is, is really noticeable for how it's failed as a town. Sorry for anybody who lives at Skelmersdale. Because of, you know, the fact that they, they just joined up several dots and said, well, you know, this makes sense logically, therefore it must work organically. And it, of course it
1: doesn't. Hmm. Uh, well, the other quote that you get early on in this documentary from one of the old guys is he says they didn't get on with the local kids, meaning the original Basildon kids, the country yeah. boys. And they were all East End kids who'd come out of the Blitz. So I suppose there's some understandable animosity there. I'm not sure by the time I was growing up in the Little Holton there was any evidence of that, but I guess the same thing must have happened. Now, my favourite character in this, though, is the guy in the hat. Who's the guy in the hat? You know, he has like a bead necklace on. He says... Oh, yeah. Yeah, but we didn't see him at the beginning, did we? A little bit, because he says... He refers, I think, to chocolate box villages. You get sick from the chocks within. And uh, he also says, fuck Gaia, nature is overrated. He seems to really appreciate the uh, concrete architecture of bits of basil. True. I I was all on board with that, of course. I, I like that.
0: How do you feel about the general as- aspect of getting the interviewees to perform their street poetry to camera? <laughs> this is it. Was this it just a bit cringe or what? I was
1: hoping. Most of them all- were
0: performance artists, and this is the biggest problem I have about this movie, movie. yes, It's not really about Basildon. It's not really about architecture or town planning. It's about the creative arts in Basildon. <laughs> yeah. And how, maybe, right. how yeah. maybe brutalist or modernist architecture affected that. Negatively. Has it inspired
1: it or has it suppressed it?
0: But then we took a detour and started talking about how it was Thatcher's fault and not Basildon's fault. <laughs> so, about the creative arts, as if that was the only thing that Basildon, you know, we should care for about Basildon. But anyway, sorry, Rich, go on.
1: No, you're completely right. This observation is, it kind of bait and switches you, this entire thing, doesn't it?
0: There was a chance to look at some good architecture. I
1: mean, well, the- this is what I was going to say. I was hoping, I was hoping for this documentary to be more. Like, 1950s architect's plans. Yes. With lots Did of they come true or not? Yeah. Sweeping drawings of roadways going through grass verges with gentlemen in suits and Jetson-style cars going down the road and stuff like that. Uh, we didn't see any of that. We saw, like, one architect designer complaining about development corporations. Yes. But we, we didn't really see any vision for Basil then. We just saw what it looks like now. And a bunch of, like, public art, some of which was quite interesting uh, and quite entertaining, and some of the architecture. And admittedly, in Basildon, some of the estates had some quite interesting architecture, a lot of which they later on said was a big failure. Yeah. But the thing is, all of these new towns and new ideas, I think, get described by as a failure by somebody. Is that... Uh, yeah. They do. I
0: mean, the thing is, we now know that if you have lots of communal green space, people don't feel entitled to use it. If you have lots of communal space between these, and Bazelon had a lot of this, is like this semi-vernacular modernist take on terraced housing, but with nice gardens instead, surrounded by green walkways. Uh, then it's gonna turn into a rabbit warren of thievery and drug use. And if in like Skelmersdale, you make it carless and have people walking on sort of uh, aerial walkways on the first floor rather than on the ground, that's just not gonna work either. None of that makes sense where you can just walk A to B on the ground, you know. And they all tended to have these very utopian ideas about making change. And none of the ideas are allowed to be organic. I.e. there was no way you could actually put the seed in there and let it propagate if it was successful. They just built it to its totality and completeness. Yeah. And of course they don't work. I mean, why would, why would a new idea that hasn't been based on old ideas be better than old ideas that are perpetuated through, if you like, a free market of ideas and choices. Of people but look, who built homes previously, you know, it, just, it makes no if sense. you're given the really.
1: opportunity to start with a fresh page, to do a new town, and you're gonna use new ideas, you have to. Yeah, there's no other opportunity to try. But new I think ideas
0: these now. days we would template it so that we allow it to seed. So we, we have ideas, we we put little seeds in and see which ones blossom, and then you know propagate those, either financially or
1: you know in other ways. And people complain about these being a failure, but people do live there. Yeah, and they're not surely worse than the slums that they were kind of designed to replace. No, and- I think the main complaint is they're soulless, and that's because
0: of the zoning. You know, they've separated out housing from shopping. Shop the shopping centre. Unless you're a chain, or unless you're a big, a big effort, you can't. You know, you can't get in there to sell your wares. So there's there's nowhere for local people to 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 put down roots. And to sprout in ways other than being residential, you see. And particularly Skelmersdale is really bad for this. I mean, th- there's just no way you could open up a little
1: local shop within the residential areas. So, I mean, it just strikes me that no matter what you do, someone is going to complain that it doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, yeah.
0: Let me say, this did work. I mean, Basildon yeah. quickly had lots of industry. Skelmersdale had exactly. huge amounts of industry. Yeah. In an era where we had, you know, British giants like ICI and Dulux and that kind of thing, in an era where we had British manufacturing, they were great to relocate to, and they did work for yeah. about twenty or yeah. thirty years. They did work, you know. And I, I, I'm not putting the architects down. I think the template that they built it on, which was for a Britain that had a steady supply of orders and that, you know, had a depth and a range to its industry that involved manufacturing and where jobs. Were performed in factories for you know most of your life. For all those reasons, these new towns worked, but I think I, I think they stopped working in the late seventies when when Britain had to face the fact that its position in the world was ultimately changed and its relationship with the world economically and in terms of trade had become mm. a different proposition. Particularly with respect to, for example, like cotton. You know, I
1: mean, yeah, sure. I, I think we'll, we'll get on later in the documentary, and pretty soon we'll get on to the I think the industrial failure. That I think led to Basildon becoming a bit of a failed town. But. Yeah. You're quite right. And I think. And becoming
0: a Tory town, interestingly, which they do get onto and is quite interesting. It's the one yeah. area where I thought, yes, politics and, and town planning is relevant here. But town planning and the local
1: arts scene, I, I didn't really get this at all. But we'll get on all that again. So it's experiments in design and living. And they start looking at some of the problem buildings. Uh, um they talk about a sort of high-rise building or low, mid-rise buildings. I right? Well, it, and- I think the one they're talking about
0: is the Jewel in the Crown. is the centrepiece of Basildon, which is the big 18-storey residential building they put in, yeah. almost echoing my modern points, which is they put in to ensure some sort of mixed use and to keep the centre busy. At night, and to give it yeah. some feel, and it is a beautiful building. It's it's built on these sort of V-shaped legs. It's it's a really beautiful brutalist modern 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 building.
1: But someone was complaining about heated ceilings.
0: <laughs> yes, they put this. Oh, that was that was in the more sort of two-story, three-story terraced efforts. I think, yeah, the heated ceilings, <laughs> which I guess happened.
1: And an a state whose name was Sipurax yeah, which someone what's all described about? as like a, an STD. <laughs> And, uh, the, the, no, well, they compared it to Alcatraz. That was yeah. the, the local name. Moscow on the Thames
0: is also a nickname for Batterton before it became Tory.
1: But uh, I don't, don't understand why they're comparing it to Alcatraz. It looks nothing like Alcatraz, apart That's from it. anything else. Alcatraz is not a modernist building, is it? It's like, it's like an old fashioned thing. And so the
0: centrepiece, the centrepiece sort of drew on the crown, uh, was reserved for doctors and teachers and, uh, you know, all these kind of people to come and live in a high rise in the middle of town. Uh, and I guess they stayed for 10 or 15 years and then moved elsewhere. J.G. Ballard wrote a book, you know, in the late 60s, uh, where, you know, it's, he's writing about a future Britain where, you know, it's obviously highly desirable to live higher up in a high rise. And so you can see at the time that ideas of high rises hadn't become what they are today. I mean, I think- know there's a movie about
1: that that we maybe should add to all this. Really?
0: Yeah. There's a high rise has been re- rehabilitated us in the last 15 years, I guess, but for, for much, for mo- for most of the time. Ten years after they started to be built, you know, from 1970 onwards, high-rise kind of became a dirty word. So, interestingly, you know, this this beautiful building on, on V-Leg stilts kind of thing, is must be 5 to walk under, uh, it was vacated by the doctors and teachers and whoever, they, they kind of got first, first dibs on the nicest houses. Because I mean, all the houses were essentially given away free, weren't they? But they got these really nice modern things in in this high-rise. When they moved out, it became a bit of a cesspit. And they were saying one of the design problems was they, they had CCTV, you know, 1950s or 1960s CCTV, but it could only deal with eight eight homes,
1: eight channels, homes, yeah. eight channels yeah. or
0: something. Whereas, of course, there were 190 people living there. <laughs> so, again, technical problems that weren't really dealt with and weren't really updated when the problems became evident. So, again, a one-size-fits-all and uh, not a cyclical idea of evolution and development, just a design-it-once, build-it-once kind of attitude, which isn't organic and we know now
1: doesn't work. But, of course, now it's occupied by a bunch of musicians, apparently. Or this documentary would have us believe. Because <laughs> they start talking here about the artistic, seminal you know, properties of Basildon to inspire you know, synth bands and Depeche Mode, Alison Moyer etc you know but I mean it's a very fleeting I mean if you're hoping for like the history of Depeche Mode you would yeah. be a bit disappointed all they do is just show a walking tour of Basildon with a bunch of Depeche Mode fans being shown like different houses I was just gonna
0: say the only industry left in Basildon is Depeche Mode tours <laughs> it reminds me of Manchester in like 1990 uh when they used to do Morrissey tours kind of thing when- Manchester was just getting back on its feet, kind of
1: Oh, thing. please, you still get people asking you where, where Salford Lads Club is. Does it still That's, exist? It does still exist, actually, uh,
0: yeah. The lads are like, go away, stop coming around here. <laughs> I want to go and box. So uh, then we kind of... I mean, is there any interview here that isn't some sort of performing artist? There isn't, is there? No, there are
1: There are but... Mm.
0: No, lads- there's not. There's mum and dad sat on a sofa talking about their son's heroin addiction and eventual death. But he worked in. He theater. was the artist. He was the yeah. artist. He's and dead, so they could So interview. this is my major problem: is like, what? I mean, if you're gonna do, you know, town planning and its relation to the performing arts, then make a fucking documentary about it. But don't sell yeah. it as, you know, new town, utopia. Just on the one strap line, you know, when that when that minister says, you know, we're making new people who will love the theatre, and it's just one strap line. They make a they make a whole hour and a half documentary about that one thing. <laughs> and i don't think that was on
1: um, i felt cheated they, uh, I, i'd like the uh creepy figures in the clearing in the park just those concrete like meeples that are stuck in the ground that was- what about the fluorescent climbing frames oh now they were excellent Completely they were they? excellent yeah really love those yeah
0: so you can see Basel's is trying to reinvent itself. But in the 80s, they talked a lot about what a scary and tough place it was. And, of course, the territoriality. Territor, 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 oh, God, help me. Territoriality. Territoriality. How do you say that word? Territoriality? Territorialism. I don't think it is a word, Paul. That's Territorialism. <laughs> Territorialism of council estate pubs. Well, we all know council estate pubs. Flat roof pubs are very Flat territorial. Flat
1: roof pubs, yeah. Rough. And they're beautiful but they're. at the same time, though. Yeah, but always the roughest pubs. Now they did, as you said, start-
0: but in every city, in every town, new, old, in between, you know, council, council, council estate pubs are rough. You know, we all know that.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: So this has got again nothing to do with the blueprint that the,
1: the, the town forefather's put down, has it? Well, the, the interesting thing is, though, as you say, that it was. I think it was expected to be a completely self-contained town. There was no station built originally on the original plans. The True. idea was everyone would walk to the industrial areas. There was a very good park. reason
0: for that, though. They didn't uh, want people moving there uh, and commuting to London. To for London,
1: work. right. So they it was wanted
0: it, conscious... people to stay in Basildon. Yeah.
1: Huh. Yeah. Now they talk then about the 80s and Thatcher's influence, the main one being the selling of council houses to the occupants, the right-to-buy scheme. Yeah, they talked about it for some time, didn't they? Well, it's important because it's what turned, I think, the traditionally strongly unionised Labour, Basildon, into a kind of neo-Tory kind of...
0: Hence the moniker Basildon Man. He was a thing, Basildon Man, before White Vat Man, before Essex Man. Basildon Man was the thing, wasn't he?
1: Because, again, you know, it's giving people who hadn't been able to afford or get on the housing ladder the ability to to do that, to make that step. and feel like they were taking part in the asset-owning boom-and-bust world of the, you know, Thatcher's Tory years. So it made people feel affluent, didn't it? Yeah. And they talked about, you know, the loads-of-money character Harry Enfield's extremely wealthy plasterer who was... Rippling money off fat stacks. Uh, and then, you know, they started talking about the industry that was there. And they talked about two big firms that were mentioned. Well, there were three big firms. There I was think Ford was group. there, wasn't there? Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, But there was also Ilford's, who right. were a film company. You know, wow. like old-fashioned emulsion film, like chemical film. And a company called Carreras, I think, which was a tobacco firm. I, I think. see. So understandably, at least two of these industries have got no future, as yeah. we now know, and Ford closed down the basel plant eventually anyway. Um, you know, obviously, the, I think there was some ill feeling toward, you know, by some of the residents, maybe to the government, I'm not sure, but you know, ultimately, technology did for those, and changing attitudes did for those, those two big companies, didn't it? I mean, I don't... What do you do about industries that are just not viable anymore? I'm well, it's not, not what sure. You can do. Exactly, I'm not sure what the government solution would be to it. Um, they talked a bit about their shopping centre, the Leinden Centre. I think was that is that the name of it?
0: Well, I did some research. There are now three shopping centres in Basel. Uh, they did wow. show us how empty it is. You know, uh, I still they feel did. that centre is quite impressive. That modernist centre with its wide its wide concourses, its modern art. Uh, and I think there's a fountain or two. I still love that, you know. Uh, but, of course, it's bare and full of pound shops and betting shops these days. But there's another one that was purpose-built, I think it's called Westgate, and another purpose-built called Eastgate, early 80s, late 80s, I think, which are kind of covered... Uh, covered malls, yeah. Covered, covered malls in the American sense. So one of them was the largest mall in England for some time, or the south of England, because I think the world in, in, in uh, Gateshead surpassed it yeah so so there was a lot of shopping going on in Basleton, but of course we don't shop physically anymore pretty much you know or if we do not not as often and not the same same way so
1: so yeah one of the shops they keep showing was called fish and chicken like fish apostrophe n apostrophe chick apostrophe n i didn't see that no. how do you feel about that i wasn't I don't. I don't feel that's a place that would draw me to it. In all honesty. Now, Richard, I was going to say, usually
0: you do the plot synopsis. This is a documentary. Did you know the names of all the people that were speaking?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know the name of Hat Guy. To my, right. to my uh, disgrace. Okay, so, my favorite. I mean,
0: there is no plot really, and if I push you to say what was this documentary saying, what
1: was it could about? You, could you give me any answer whatsoever? No, no. It, no, there we it, go. It, well, it's, it's just trying to, it's trying to tell a story about a town. How it came about. How it came right. to be not quite the thing they imagined, I suppose. Okay, then I guess it and achieves in, that. In that sense, you know, I understood it because it's like my own hometown, like I say. And, and I'm quite harsh on Little Holton. I met a guy who lives in Little Halton more recently right. and realised that... I think he asked me where I was from, and I said, you know, some shithole called Little old, and he said, oh, yeah, I'm from there kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, and I think it's improved greatly uh, since I lived there. Wow! But my school is no longer there. It's completely gone. Right. It's turned into something else. So, because I went back there, you know, I uh, saw the old shopping centre. Did you get it's out of your car
0: How did, you, did you just drive around?
1: I, I did just drive around, yeah. It's a weird yeah, experience. It is a very weird experience. Uh, but, I mean, I was lucky because my... Well, I say I was lucky. I suppose it was. Uh, but my mum was a single parent living with her grandparents. I see. And my grandparents were smart enough to understand where the wind was blowing in terms of living in Salford. And right. so they bought their own house in Little Holton and moved out of Salford before they were kind of forced to. So, because I suppose partly because my grandfather um, was working in protected you know industry, so during the war he was an engineer, so he he stayed working. Right. And I suppose he he also became quite senior there, so he had enough money that he could afford to buy a house, which I'm sure many sulfurians couldn't have done. But I think the act of deciding or having the agency to move yourself makes you feel very differently about it. But it just felt like, it, you know, we were in a different circumstance as a consequence. So you know, I perhaps had it a lot easier than a lot of my school colleagues. At which point, if I was the man in the hat, I would be pulling out my guitar. And singing some traditional Essex blues <laughs> in an American accent. <laughs>
0: so we had several street performers who performed the base of the interviews. Yeah, okay, and we didn't really have much commentary above that, apart from linking the interviews and their feelings. A lot of the interviews centered, and I guess they were prompted by the interview around something called the centre, which was the arts centre, uh, which was very much a community-based. Kind of thing, uh, and also a place where you could go and draw and do and, and and throw clay pots for free, kind of thing. And of course, the main point they were saying was during the eighties, this was all cut back, uh, and they also focused on the art center, which is where Depeche Mode met one of the guys who later released a single with Vince Clark called "The Picture of Dorian Gray." And His name is Robert Something. I will look it up in a second. He was a, another intervie- interviewee, and again, an artist. And they focused on the art centre as being, a, you know, a, a breeding ground for the creative side of Basel and music. And then they moved over to a club or a pub where that was also the case.
1: And one of them was, yeah, one of them was a promoter called Hippie Joe. That's right. And he Hippie was Joe, yeah. doing music promotion, wasn't he? He's the only one whose name I remember. <laughs>
0: But they seem to make making a contradictory point. They were saying, obviously, Depeche Mode might have been inspired by this weird place that had grown up into the future out of nowhere. Because Basildon's really in the middle of nowhere, if you think about it. It's in the middle of Essex, Essex Marshlands, isn't it? And I get that, you know, it, it must have felt like time had collapsed and, and, and done weird spiky things in all directions to, to move to Basildon from from the slums. And they were saying maybe that was something to do with the creativity that came out of Basildon. They're also saying, you know, it was to do to these arts hubs and these, you know, these, uh, these clubs and pubs where that talent was nurtured. But they also seem to be suggesting the fact that Basildon, it's also because Basildon was so crap that people became creative, which kind of, which kind of belies their argument later that they will want better funding for the arts hmm. in Basildon. Do you know what I mean? Uh, you know, I- I'm not sure that, uh, I'm not sure that desperation does make for good art to be honest with you
1: but <laughs> you're right to point out that it's a contradictory idea. It actually I think you, you see it in a lot of documentaries of this kind don't you where they juxtapose the impoverished conditions or the lack of opportunities with the creativity that they're trying to contrast it with. I mean if um, it were just Vox pops, no Vox pop no problem you get con-
0: you get you get a variety of different opinions. But there was a direction, there was a flowing direction that this documentary went. I, I I felt it went in opposing and kind of meandering places at times.
1: Well, well. Have we have we said enough about this then?
0: Yeah, I thought we'd get some clips of Depeche Mode at the time, in 1979.
1: Oh, no, I think that sounds expensive, doesn't it? You what know, well, cine film? Uh, yeah. I thought we'd
0: have <laughs> got some of Alison Moy, She must come cheaper, do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think I'm taught town. I mean, what about the future of new towns? I would love to move to a new town, a modern new town. Like you know? Poundbury. No, one <laughs> where you park your cars in a giant underground car park at the edge and you get a little taxi monorail. No, the taxi little pod shuttle to your home. Okay. And uh, yeah, and it's all I think
1: you're talking about Dubai, aren't you? From the sound of it. You can't build a new town because NIMBYs won't they don't want it in the green belt. They don't want it near them. You know, they don't want to... Obviously, you can't have a new town in in brownfield development because that's already in a city. Yeah. It's impossible. What do? I don't know. Well, as they say at the end of this film, for all its faults, better done than not.
0: Precisely.
1: Yeah. Precisely. So if I've got one
0: thing to say, it's come on. I'm ready Ship to up. sign up. I'm ready to sign up. I would happily put, you know, a five five thousand pound deposit, so they can build the sewers, modern sewers, wide sewers, build the cycle roads and the taxi pod roads for inside the compound. You know, I put my five thousand down just like you do for five hundred for a Tesla, and I'd happily sign up with two hundred two hundred thousand other people and commit to living, you know, in an eco friendly modern way. In disguise, you know, the one thing I hate about the UK is the vernacular insistence on low-lying architecture. It's highly environmental to have so few people with such silly little private gardens, you know. I'm sure these days we could think of a way of communal living that is also private space, you know, communal outdoor living that is also allows us to you know, occupy spaces that feel private. On that, we need to score this thing. Okay. okay. What, what do you think of this discursive behemoth?
1: Well, what categories do we
0: score? Well, information. Informationality.
1: Informationality, one. Okay. Two, those aren't my scores.
0: <laughs> Two, uh, local flavour, because we're talking about local flavour. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Uh, three, makes you think. Big ideas. I don't know. Big, big ideas. Yeah. Okay. Big ideas. Four. Presentation.
0: No future in the past. You know, did they give us an idea of what people were aiming to do with these new tiles? Because they said it didn't achieve objectives. Did they actually give us an idea of what the objectives were?
1: Okay. Well, that's enough categories. I can't remember the first one. What was informationality?
0: The first
1: informationality.
0: I'd say uh, it let me down a lot.
1: I'll Can give I it a six.
0: I'll give it a six. Four. It let me down a lot. I didn't really find out anything about the plans for Basildon. But I knew Uh, more about Basildon
1: at the end than I did at the start.
0: Oh, yeah, but did you know that, you know, London has lived there before? No. Did you know that the railway wasn't built for a variety of reasons? Including to keep it, you know, hermetically sealed, but also because they didn't want people commuting out for work.
1: Well, okay, I'll go to five.
0: Four, you know. Information, Local flavour. Local flavour i I score it up on this one. I definitely got a feel for Basildon, and I definitely had a sense of Basildon's spirit or its zeitgeist. You know, you sat in uh, some
1: people's sitting rooms, didn't you, and listened to them noodle away, <laughs> noodle they? about their own
0: private lives. You know, this <laughs> that is why informationality was down. You know, it's like, yeah, I understand, <laughs> but it's no, nothing to do with new towns. You know, I <laughs> mean, just very tenuous. I'm sure that should have done an effect on this new town, but should have had an effect on all towns in the same way. Yeah, so all that was why I scored informationality down four. Local Flavour, I got a feel for it. Yeah, they, they included road noise in a very clever way, just to give that, an idea of a transitory, almost timeless place where maybe people don't, they have to think twice about if they actually exist or not.
1: And I, I definitely got that, and you can feel it in Depeche Mode's music. So I'm going to go for eight here. Hi, high score. I mean, look. This is a good lockdown documentary if you're stuck indoors and you wanted to tour Basildon and see some people. If you dream, if you dream of going as far afield as Basildon and exploring, ideal documentary. for you. <laughs> lots it, of
0: nice modern art. Lots of really nice modern buildings. If you
1: like them, I'll give it a seven.
0: Yeah, I got a sense of the the, uh, the housing estates too. You know. The kind of semi-modern, in still in vernacular style, but with like little stairways at the side of a terrace. Yeah. And stuff yeah. like that. got a real feel for all. So, an eight from me. Okay, big ideas. Did it pitch any? Did it review any? Did it make you think about things that you never thought about before?
1: It did make me think about this central concept that I keep nailing on about here. That the central idea that I keep going on about is you've got to build something new.
0: Oh you're yeah, not, I'm you're with not, you. you.
1: You're not going to build an old-fashioned thing. So you're bound to get something's wrong, and it's bound to be experimental. You have to be a caress, Yeah, you got to you yeah. got to aim for the sun. You know, yeah. You can't um, moonshot if you don't aim there. Do you know what I mean? So, whether that's a big idea, it, yeah, it is. It's a big idea that does come from this documentary. So, I'm bound to give it a seven.
0: I think. You know, listening to the to the uh, voice to the voice of the minister at the time. It's amazing. You know, it was utopian. It was paternalistic uh, and authoritarian utopianism. But at the same time, they really did believe in what they were saying, you know, and they were aiming big and they were aiming far, weren't they? And I think we've lost a kind a of that.
1: politics that, yes, no longer exists. Yeah.
0: <laughs> a return to some sort of conviction politics might benefit us all. Yeah, yeah. But so. that said, I didn't really feel any big ideas here. So I'm going to give it a four. Yeah, okay. So did we get an idea of the futurism of the past? Did we see into that minister's soul? Not, not very with, clearly. With the overdub. Not really. No.
1: Not, I mean, not particularly he, he, I didn't really work for me, and that's going to be a four for me also. A, a four from me. Same reasons. And overall, then, I recommend...
0: No, no, I'm sure you could dig out something that's going to... If you're interested in, in town planning uh, and... and uh,
1: <laughs> Which and, of course you are, that's why you're listening. <laughs> and, yeah,
0: if you came into a cinema podcast, of course you're interested in town planning. If you're interested in town planning on any level, I don't think this is really the, the, the documentary movie for you. It's dear clear. Uh, so for me, it's an overall of five. Four. It's right It's right on the cusp five. Four for me. Oh, Oh, sorry. It's right on the cusp of recommend, not recommend.
1: I, I wouldn't recommend it, not because it's that bad. I just I just couldn't sit down in front of someone and tell them that they needed to watch this.
0: That said, if you're prepared to accept that performing street artists and their opinions could represent the whole of Basildon, then you, if, if you're interested in street artists and you know minor local performing artists and how their lives have changed over thirty or forty years, and how they've changed in one particular area. It's a fascinating documentary, because that's what it's about. But it's not what it's billed about. So,
1: You heard it here first. A fascinating documentary, says Paul. <laughs> By the power of sound soundbites. Yeah. Paul, do you know what we're watching next week? I don't know. Do you want me to give you what two choices? What in the Depeche
0: Mode are we watching next week?
1: <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give you a choice of two films. First choice is Escape the Field.
0: Whoa, that sounds like Escape to the Country. Is
1: it an escape room movie
0: without the room? Right, okay. So Escape to the Field, okay, I've looked into this one for you, Richard. Okay. I have you? It, it's like an escape room, but a more kind of open-ended activity.
1: Right, it sounds less like a film and more like a participation event. It sounds thrilling. My alternative to Escape the Field is Tusk. TUSK. 2014 yeah.
0: an A24 I have to say it doesn't get particularly strong reviews
1: Since when has that been our guide? I ask you I
0: yes. I like both of them but I'm particularly attracted to Tusk because uh, a friend conditions another friend to behave like a walrus and I feel I've either <laughs> got to see that in real life or I've got to see an artistic rendition of that
1: That's it then the Tusk it is. Tusk. It's goodbye from me. Thank you for listening. And, it, and it's goodbye from him. Goodbye.
0: Ciao for now. I'll see you on the next one. <laughs>